if there had been a communication between you and the concierge at the hotel, your career might never have happened. That is true. And that's a fact. I, as a matter of fact, I know absolutely. I was out. Hey everybody, what's up? Trey Wingo here. Welcome into another episode of Season 4 of Half Forgotten History. This week's guest might have the most unique training camp story of all time. His inability to speak Japanese led to his Hall of Fame career. And that's 100% true. And you're going to hear it from the man himself, Hall of Famer Terrell Davis. It was a Tokyo Bowl game that burst him onto the radar of the team that had drafted him, the Denver Broncos. And from there, despite puking up some hot dogs, a Hall of Fame career ensued. Trust me, you're going to enjoy this. Please now sit back and relax and listen to Terrell Davis tell about his story from Georgia to the Hall of Fame. I guess the best way to start this is what would you say to yourself when you were just one of eight kids of your mother uh, trying to make ends meet uh, in San Diego, California, and seeing how your career played out? What would you say to that kid who had dreams at that moment? <laughs> uh, what would I tell him? I guess, I guess for me, it's like whatever you're going through at that time, because I was going through a lot as a kid, as we all do, and we don't ever see the end of the tunnel. So I guess my advice to that young man would be, listen, the pain and everything you're going through, trust me, it's going to be worth it <laughs> when it's all yeah. said and done. So keep, keep fighting, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And I know you're a little discouraged right now. I know you don't see it, but trust me, it's going to pay off at the end it is amazing to think of where you are now and, and where it became where you where it began for you right does that ever do you ever sit back and say how did i get here of course of course and it's not like i you know i and i'd like to tell people um i mean my upbringing was normal to me at the time and it was hey listen we didn't grow up in a very poor environment we you know we had things you know i felt like i was very privileged you know privileged as a child i had you know five older brothers and we ended up adopting two more. So it became eight at, at uh, you know, eventually, but you, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. And I, I yeah. we, we, we had, a, you know, a household that I felt like anything I, I sort of wanted, um, you know, I had a chance to get. Uh, so I feel like we, I had things there, Trey. So I didn't feel like it was like this environment where, you know, I was, we, we weren't, you didn't have a bed to sleep on or we, you know, had a hole in the roof and water was coming out. That was not my story. My story was just, I had a, you know, I had a couple of brothers and it just felt like they, I was constantly like the missing, the guy who just didn't get what he wanted a lot of times or was having to fight through a lot to get what he wanted. And so that to me was my frustration. I never felt like I, I was the best at anything because I had older brothers. They were always better than me. And so like, where's your value? Like, where do you, what do you bring to the table as a, as a child where you don't feel like you can do anything well? And that's, that was my struggle. So how did you channel that into sports? Or did you? Did you channel that frustration into trying to be the best you could be at, at football, basketball, whatever? Yeah, I think that's what happened. So when I, I remember at seven years old, my first, first chance I got to play Pop Warner football. And so I go on the field, and I'm looking at the kids, and they're all my size. And so now remember, I have nothing but older brothers. So I'm used to getting yeah. <laughs> pummeled and beat up. <laughs> you know, when, when we do football. Out of love, TV, out of love, right? Out of yeah. love. Out of yeah. love. So I was like, wow, these kids are my size. And yeah. 
you know, I had a chance to be real physical with these kids because I, I, I had the experience with being, you know, beat up. And that's when I knew I, I, you know, I love football and I really fell in love with it because I was able to just physically be more dominant than the kids that I played with. And on my first year I played, I was, I was actually um, a guard and my other brother uh, just older than me, uh, Terry, he was the other guard. And we would just be in games and, and people will, would just watch to see how these two linemen would just like physically just like <laughs> run through these kids. Like we were trying to hurt kids. We even had like little side bets seeing who can hurt the most kids in the game. And um, so that, that was, that was, that was TD, man. And I, and, and like you said, that gave me an outlet. It gave me a place to go to where I could just, you know, use that physical, um, frustration that I was I was having at home, I can display that on the field. And not only did I get praised, I didn't get in trouble for it. I was being praised yeah. for it. And that was yeah. and that was pretty cool. So you evolved from guard to running back and our mutual friend Mark Schler devolved from tight end and defensive end to guard. So it's so you you crossed in the middle and you met somewhere in Denver. So if if seven years old was when you fell in love with football, when did you know I could be good at this? When did you think before you went to college, and we'll get to your college experience, which is fascinating, when did you say, hey, I think I'd be okay at this? It, it was really the end of my first year playing. I knew I wanted to be running, play running back. I wanted to run the football. But that whole year, the coaches wouldn't give me the football. And I kept pestering this one coach. I'm like, hey, man, I, I, just, I want to run the I want to be a running back. I like linemen, but I, I want to run. And finally, the last game of the year, for whatever reason, they gave in and they allowed me to, to run with the football. And that game, I don't know, we didn't keep stats back then, but it was yeah. pretty impressive. You know, I, I, I felt like every time I touched the ball, I was going to touchdown. So I, was, I think I had like five or six touchdowns, you know, probably 200 yards rushing, maybe more. And um, that was the end, that was the last game of that year. And then the next season, when we came back, I was the running back. And so from that point on, I played running back from eight years old, nine years old, 10, 11, all the way up to I was 13 years old. I was running back. And I was, it was either me or another guy in, in San Diego that were the same age group that were probably considered the two best running backs in San Diego, a guy named Jesse Campbell. It was, it was oh, Terrell sure. Davis and Jesse Campbell, but my nickname was Boss Hall. So a lot of kids <laughs> didn't even know my real name. They just knew Boss Hall. And it was like the legend of Boss Hall. And they would, they would you know, my coaches, to, to try to hide me from the other teams. They would give me all these different jersey numbers. I wore, you know, 30, 31, 32, 33, 30. I mean, they just kept flipping my number around. And, uh, but during that time, I knew, I knew I was pretty good. Um, and I loved football. I know I was pretty good as a running back. Um, but it was kind of, it was, a, it was more, it was pressure started to come. Yeah. Not from anybody outside, but I started to realize that, wow, like every game, that we play in, if I don't play well, then maybe we win, maybe we lose. But as a, as a you know, 10, 11 year old kid starting to realize that, man, like the, the sort of the pressure that people are dependent on me to win games, something that didn't sit well with me. And I didn't, I didn't like that feeling at, at being such a young, young age. Yeah, that seems like a lot on an 11 year old kid. Um, by the way, who gave you the name Boss Hawk? Cause I'm sure you didn't come up with that yourself. No, so the coach that I was I was hounding to throw, throw me in, yeah. Uh, his name was Frank White, and Frank White today is a real good friend of mine, and he wore as many hats. And um, Frank was the best man at my wedding, and we've had a long-standing relationship. And 
Uh, he's still my business partner to this day, and, and we've, we've had a, a good history. But, yeah, so Frank White called me Boss Hog. And I don't – the story is, I guess, you know, back then, Deuce of Hazard. Hazard Deuce were, of Hazard, yeah. Yeah, we're yeah. really big. And, and for some reason, he loved, he loved the uh, Boss Hog and that white caddy with the, with the yeah. horn on the front, <laughs> you know. So I guess he he liked that style. He was like, man, I, you know, you're the boss of you're the boss, man, and that name just stuck. Well, you you were the boss, and then you go to Lincoln High School. And how did you end up at Long Beach State? Like, because uh, you'd think that for a guy that had done as much as you want to do, that other programs might be calling and other things going, but you stayed somewhat local and went to Long Beach when George Allen, uh, people might have forgotten, George Allen had come back and started coaching again in college. People might have remembered him, longtime head coach of the then Washington Redskins. How did you get to Long Beach State? So when I'm about 11, 12, maybe like 12, 13 years old, like I was telling you about that, um, it was not only the pressure, but my, 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 dad, my dad died. My dad yeah. ended up dying my freshman year. And it really took a toll on me. It just, it really hit me hard where I just kind of, I lost focus. I felt like life just didn't have meaning anymore. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you lose your parents, like that just, that didn't, that, that was just one of the most impactful moments in my life. And it really derailed me. So I stopped playing. I quit football. I didn't play freshman year. I didn't play my sophomore year. And uh, during that time, I was getting into some stuff that I shouldn't have. When my dad right. died, it kind of allowed my brothers and I just to kind of run wild. My mom was working two jobs. You know, she couldn't be around to, to, to really keep us in line. And we just started to go off, man. And during that time, I ended up having a, a, a situation where, you know, my, my life had flashed in front of my life, man. The guy pulled the gun on me and it was like late night and some things happened. And, and that really, that really stuck with me. And after I had the gun pointed in my face, um, man, when I say that, that woke me up, that woke me up. And I was like, you know, I kind of uh, told myself I need to get back to playing sports because I wasn't playing sports anymore. So I had no accountability to sports. I was just out there. Long story short, a week after that that incident happened, Frank White, the guy who gave me the name, we, we had, we had disconnected for a while. And I had ran into him a week after that, and he asked me what I was doing. I told him I wasn't playing. And he told me, man, you need to get back to playing football. And I was like, all right. But the high school I was at, my grades were super bad. I flunked freshman year, man. So the teachers there had already known me for this guy that, you know, probably is what he is. And, and I, so I didn't have a chance to kind of turn things around at the high school. So the plan for me was, all right, I was going to transfer out of that high school, go to Lincoln High School. I was at Morris. I was going to transfer to Lincoln. And then start playing sports again. And, and that's what I did, Trey. It didn't happen like the day after, but it was a process yeah. where I was like, okay, you know, when I get things, I'm going to start working towards getting back to playing. So I went to Lincoln High School, and uh, when I got there, they already had running backs. They had guys that were really good. And so I couldn't play running back. So the only position I could play was nose guard. So I played nose guard and uh, played – I was a backup fullback. And that's what I played in high school. I played nose guard and fullback. And uh, so ain't no college is looking at no 190 pound guy <laughs> yeah. to go play and running back, man. So that was my, and I, and I, what, what I did was I fell in love with football again uh, because I didn't have the pressure of having to perform and put numbers on, on the board or anything like that, but still contribute to a team winning without having the pressure. And I, and that felt really good to me for a while. And uh, so that's what happened. And then, at that time, I only had two schools that really looked at me for college, and it was like Utah State and New Mexico State. 
And um, so I, as we're going through this process, trying to find a school, my brother, coincidentally, was at Long Beach State. And that's where George Allen was coming over for the first year. And he told right. one of the coaches that they should go to San Diego and look, 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 uh, look up a guy, uh, Latrell Davis. He's pretty good. And so they did that. They came to San Diego, took a look at me. Now, they didn't know we were brothers. His last name is Webb. My brother's Webb, last name yep. is Webb, not Davis. So they didn't know we were rela- related. Yeah. yeah, Reggie Webb. And uh, so they came down and he was like, hey, listen, you know, we can't give you a scholarship, but if you come on the, the Long Beach and work really hard, then, you know, possibly we can, you know, you can earn one. And that to me sound, that sound good. That sounded good because my brother was there. It wasn't too far from San Diego. You know, I was close enough to home and, um, you know, and, and they, they promised me that if I worked hard, I could possibly earn a scholarship. But that was my my journey to Long Beach State, man. So that, yeah, no schools uh, no no schools looked at me as no five star, four star running back, and you know, so that that was not what I was uh, brought to school to do. Yeah, and then George passes away before you get a chance to play because you redshirted. You play a little bit the next year, and then you transfer to Georgia. How did you get to Georgia from Long Beach State? Yeah, we canceled the program. I was at Long Beach State two years. Yeah. First year I redshirted, and I came back the second year. Um, at the end of the first year, actually, George Allen uh, caught pneumonia. We, you know, we yep. had I think we went six and five, and it was it was raining the last game of the season, um, so he shouldn't have probably been in that game anyway. He was an older coach. Uh, it was you know it was really wet and cold, and on top of that, after we won the game. Some of my teammates gave him the, you know, the celebratory Gatorade shower yeah. in the rain. And, uh, you know, he caught pneumonia that day uh, and he never recovered. So about wow. a month later, you know, he, he passed away during the bowl season. I was at home when that happened. And that was devastating because George Allen, let me talk about George Allen for a little bit, man, because it was a, he really, he really gave me confidence. You know, when I was, when I redshirted, I was on scout team. Right. So I was a scout team running back. And that's where the the love of being a running back kind of came back. It was rejuvenated. And I would give the first team defense really good looks because I was going 100 miles a minute. And they the defense didn't like it, but George Allen loved it. And so he was really, really big on me. And, uh, you know, he, he even gave me a nickname. He called me Secretariat. That was his nickname. <laughs> he, he didn't probably know my name after that. Secretariat. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he loved the fact that, that my energy level was high. And I would give the, the first team defense a really good look. And a lot of times I would give them problems because um, I would I would go beyond the X's and O's. You know, if the players didn't have to go right, I'd probably, you know, reverse fields and go left and, uh, you know, keep them on their toes. So he loved that. And uh, it was the first time that I really thought that, or at least I saw the potential to play in the NFL because here he is, a pro football Hall of Famer uh, coach, all of this Coaches on the staff all played professional football. We'd always have all these scouts come up to our practice from all these different NFL teams. And then one day, one of the scouts asked my running backs coach, Harvey Hyde, and it wasn't even much, Trey. All he did was ask Harvey Hyde um, about me. And that's said, He was like, hey, you know, and then Harvey told him that, he was, that I was only a freshman. And so when he told me that, I don't know where I, how I connected those dots, but I was like, wow, a pro coach asked about me. Like that was our mm-hmm. pro scout asked about me. Like that became like that one moment where you allow yourself to dream and be like, wow, maybe the NFL is possible. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was my thing there. So, so you get to Georgia and you're, uh, Garrison Hurst is there, right? And there's some other good running backs there that you had to sit behind for a while. Was that frustrating? 
Yeah, well, so it seems like I started having the same thing. When I went to Lincoln High School, yeah. I had to work my way up to you know being a starting fullback uh, eventually my senior year. When I got to Long Beach State, I was, you know, you got new college backs, so you got like nine running backs, man. I was like yeah. the ninth or tenth running back on, a, on the depth chart. And so I worked my way up to being a starter the second year. And so I'd seen it before. I was familiar with working hard. But Georgia was different. Like these, all these, these players have, oh, that's Mr. Texas right there. That's Mr. Florida. Blue Bloods, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that guy's, uh, you know, that's all state Georgia. And uh, so I got there. I was like, okay, competition is definitely stiff here. But I just allowed myself to stay in my own mind and just continue to do what I've been doing. And eventually, you know, I was behind Garrison my first year there. When Garrison went off to the NFL, I became a starter my junior year. And um, I would say, though, the, the moment at Georgia was, was pretty big because it's Georgia. Yeah. And I wasn't used to playing in, in front of that many people, being under the microscope. You're playing in – I mean, this is, this is running back university, man. So, you know, I, I, I never really felt comfortable at Georgia, um, at least, like, n- not until later. But my junior year, man, I, I, I thought that I kind of – I kind of shrunk in the moments a lot of times, you know, get into my own head, not wanting to have too much success too early. So I didn't have to worry about maintaining that level of success. And, and the problem with doing that, man, is, you know, if you don't pull, if you don't give it your all and lay it all on the line, man, the chances are you're not going to be very good. And that's, that's what happened to me. Well, one of the things that was really interesting about you when you played at Georgia, Bobby Turner, who of course was a part of you being drafted for the Denver Broncos he mentioned that you played mean, and it sounds like whatever you took with you when you were a seven-year-old playing guard looking out to take it out on some people, you carried that over when you became a running back at Georgia, and that really stood out to Bobby when they thought about drafting you. Yeah, it's, um, it was always in there, and, I, and I've, you talked about it. I, I had it when I was a kid, and there was a moment in Georgia where I, I, I kind of lost that love for the game. I kind of lost that. I don't know, like the, that feeling of just going out there and dominating and, I, and just letting it all go, you know, putting it all on the line and not worry about the consequences. And so when I finally found that back in Georgia, like toward my, the last part of my senior year, where I was like, this is not going very well for me. <laughs> yeah. And I've got to change something. I just, I just want to be able to walk off this field and feel proud that I let it all on the line and, and I don't have to have any regrets about my career. That was my only goal when I came back, Trey. My senior year, I had four games left. I was injured five games. And when I was coming back off of injury, I was like, man, I'm about to leave. So how do I want to be remembered? How do I, I, I want to walk off this field? And that was my mindset, was going back to that kid, little boss hall at Lincoln High, at Link, in Lincoln Park. And when I found, when I tapped back into that, that little kid and I got back on the field at Georgia, that's the way I played. And it was like that, it was that, attitude it was dominating not worrying about you know whatever comes with that and that attitude I took from the last part of Georgia and I had carried me all the way through to really my entire career like that was the only way that I knew how to play the game and I felt like I was going to do that not worry about what people are saying not worry about the results nothing and just by doing that man that that took me a long way so, so Bobby obviously saw that on those tables last couple of games. Were you expecting to get drafted? I mean, because you went in the sixth round. So what were your expectations uh, going, going into the draft that year? 
Man, you know how it is. You know, you, when you when you're going through that process, you got you look at some outlets. They tell you, um, I was like a, a not, not, I was like a third round pick at the best. That's the best I saw saw myself going to being undrafted, and yeah. it was a huge swing. And I think part of the third round stuff was like when I came in my junior year, I was projected as the number one back in the SEC uh, that started my junior year. So maybe a little bit of that they remember that. Uh, I don't know, but yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty wide range of where I could go. I would, my mindset was wherever I go, um, I'm I, I'm just going to make the best of it. You know, try to make the best of it because you don't know where you're going to end up. All right, so why don't we take a break here, and when we come back, we'll talk about the arguably the greatest one play that changed an entire career that not enough people know about. We'll get to that with the Hall of Famer Trell Davis right after this. You know, here on Half Forgotten History, we love talking to the legends in the game about the stories behind some of their most rewarding moments, sometimes in the biggest game possible. And when you're off the field, well, you want to be rewarded as well. So if you're looking for a credit card that fits your lifestyle, look no further. U.S. Bank has credit cards that make every day rewarding, no matter what you're into. For example, you feeling hungry? Well, check out the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points on takeout, food delivery, and dining, and get two times points at gas stations, grocery stores, and on streaming. That'll keep your wallet and your mouth full. Big spender? Well, the U.S. Bank Visa Platinum Card has a low intro APR for large purchases or balance transfers, and you call the shots with the U.S. Bank Cash Plus Visa Signature Card. Choose two categories each quarter, earn 5% back on your first $2,000 of eligible purchases from those categories. So don't just get a credit card, get the right card to make every day more rewarding. Cashback, merchandise, travel rewards, and low intro APRs are waiting. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. The creditor and issuer of these cards is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA Incorporated. And the cards are available to U.S. residents only. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hey everybody, Trey Wingo here to tell you that NFLSundayTicket.tv is like having front row seats to every out-of-market game all season long, every Sunday afternoon. No matter where you live, that is a lot of football. And guess what? This season you get more football than ever before. 18 weeks of NFL glory right there in front of you, streamed to your favorite device. Just picture this scenario with me. You sit down, you put your feet up, kick back, eat snacks, and watch an insane amount of NFL football every Sunday afternoon. So make your seat a front row seat and catch every second of your favorite players and your favorite teams every Sunday afternoon. Now to see if you're eligible for this, make sure you go to nflsundayticket.tv slash sundayready and stream every NFL Sunday ticket game this season to follow your favorite team no matter where you live. Use promo code WINGO2021 at checkout to get 15% off. Exclusive discounts also available. Select international games excluded. Eligibility restrictions do apply. Compatible device required. Data charges may apply. All right, back with the Hall of Famer Trell Davis on this episode of Half Forgotten History. So, as we said, you were drafted in the sixth round out of Georgia. You go to Denver, and you're, you're buried on the depth chart. You don't even play in the first preseason game. And then you guys played what was then called the Japan Bowl. You flew over to Tokyo to take on the San Francisco 49ers, and you're still sixth on the depth chart. So you made a decision, I'm not making this team, right? I, I want to get out of here. I'm not going to play in this game. I need to go home. So you make a phone call at the hotel in Tokyo, and what happened? 
<laughs> yeah, so let me do so that week, so we played the Niners twice, which is unheard of. We played the Niners right. in Denver. I don't play. We go to San Francisco, I mean we go to Tokyo, Japan. And so I go from not getting any reps, Trey, like really literally, I'm just I'm just getting mental reps. Once we got to Japan and to Tokyo, we we practiced with the Niners all week long. And it is hot. It's I'm, now I played in Georgia, which is hot right. and humid. Tokyo was a different level of humidity and just how it just sucks you dry. So we're losing bodies. Guys are losing. The guys' backs are dropping out of practice. We had a few guys who were left back in the states for a number of reasons. So we go from having probably eight backs, nine down to three running backs. So I go from getting no reps. So I'm getting all the reps. So now, not only am I getting the reps, but I'm not doing well. Like, I don't know the plays. I'm messing up the assignments. I'm missing blocks. We're playing against the Niners. I mean, I'm just having the worst week of practice that, that you can ask for. So at, at, at some point during that week, I'm like, dude, I'm not going to make – I got Bob T. Who, you were just talking about Bobby T. is on me, man. Like, he is right. on me. <laughs> so I can't do nothing right. I'm like, all right, I'm tired of this. Like, I'm not going to make the team anyway. Right. They're going to release me when I get back to Denver. So I don't need to put myself through all this aggravation. I'm going home. So one day after practice, after that week, weeks-long practice, I'm just done, man. I'm ready to get out of there. So I call down to the front desk, and I'm trying to find a flight back to Denver. I'm just working on it. So at that point, I, I call down, and obviously – the communication is not very, not very good. You know, my Japanese wasn't great. So I'm trying to talk to her about trying to get a flight. She's not understanding what I'm saying. I'm not understanding what she's saying. So after a few attempts of that, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, this ain't going to work. This is not going to happen. Now this is before tra Travelocity, Expedia. We don't have a phone. Exactly. I get on my phone and book a flight. I can't, exactly. can't do that. Yeah. Um, so I said, all right, my mind, when we get back to Denver, I'm done. Like I'm done. I'm going back to Georgia. I'm going to figure this thing out. Go work for Coca-Cola, do something. I know what I'm gonna do. So, so just so we're just so we're clear right now, we're talking to Hall of Famer Terrell Davis. If there had been a communication between you and the concierge at the hotel, your career might never have happened. That is true. And that's a fact. I, I, as a matter of fact, I know absolutely. I was out. I, I was it, it's done. crazy. It's crazy. There I think there are so many people that have a moment like that in their life and they don't realize it when it happens. And then five or 10 years later, you're like, holy crap, if this one thing had gone differently, my life as I know it would be a completely different story. It, I might have been a CEO Coca-Cola. Who knows right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so you, don't, you don't make the flight. So you go to the game. But you think you're not going to play. So you during the game, you're chowing hot dogs, right? Yes. I don't even take my ankles, man. Like, I'm not even – I'm not even I, – I have a uniform on. That's about it. Like I, I have just, I have just gone through the motions. Mentally, I'm, I'm not playing. Physically, I, I'm not really warm. I didn't really, you know, really warm up. Didn't tape. Didn't have all the proper stuff on. Yeah. So during the game, and we all know during the preseason game, the starters they do a series. They come out. Right. So then normally there's food on the sideline. There's normally hot dogs on the sideline. You know, sunflower seeds. They'll have some. You know, some peanuts or whatever. They have some, some stuff to eat on. Um, so this is like the third quarter. We're past half halftime. Now, even if I didn't think I was going to play, I don't really eat. I still have just jitters. I, I, just, I don't eat yeah. on game day for the most part. 
So by the time we get to the third quarter, I'm starving. I haven't played. I know I'm not going to play in this game. So, of course, I, I, I partake in the, in the, in the photo on the sideline. <laughs> You're right. I, I see the guys eat. I'm eating with them. And then I, 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 and I'm not stopping, man. I'm, I'm, I'm filling up the belly. And then as I, as I finish up the, uh, the, the, the hot dogs, uh, I hear our special teams coach. It was Richard Smith. And he's calling for number 30. And we had just we had just scored, so we're kicking off. Right. And, and you're I'm normally not on kick coverage. You're normally it, not on kick coverage. I'm on yeah. no special teams whatsoever. Right. So when he started calling number 30, I hear, you know, you can hear the, the, the kind of the chorus, like the coaches said, and everybody else is looking for number 30. So they're calling 30. And I'm sitting there, they're like, 30, 30, you're in. I'm like, what? I'm in, I'm on, I'm in what? And so the, he, and then Richard Smith comes up and he's like, hey, so you ready to go in? My, my mind was saying, my body was saying no. Yeah. Like, no, I'm not ready to go in. <laughs> <laughs> and a part of me was like, okay. So my mouth, when he said it, I just, I kind of blurted like, yeah, I'm ready. And yeah. uh, so I went in on kickoff. I didn't know where to line up. Rod Smith was on kickoff with me. And Rod was trying to, you know, help. He was helping me get lined up and, and where to go. And so when he got me finally lined up, here it is. I'm about to run out on kicks. And I realized that I had done this before. You know, as a child, when I was in Pop Warner, even in high school, I was actually the kicker and I would be the first one down the field to go make the tackle. That was always my thing. So it was familiar. I wasn't unfamiliar. I knew how to go down and make a tackle. But I also realized that, man, this is my shot. Like, this is it. If I can make a tackle, you know, this is my one chance to, to make an impact. So I saw a toe hit ball. It was, boom, ball was up. And I just reverted back to that kid again back in, in the high school or Pop Warner. I saw the return man, uh, you know, Drakeford come across. And I knew the guys in front had to block me. So my thing was I had to, had to beat them. If I could beat them, I'd go down. So I ran down the field, made a nice little uh, move, and I saw him. And I just, I, I, just, I just tracked him. I said, oh, I'm about to make this a nice hit. <laughs> and, uh, man, that was that – was, that was one of the sweetest tackles I've ever made, man. You you blew him up, and that you mentioned Rod Smith. Rod Smith was right behind you. He thought he was going to make the tackle. He was yeah. still not Rod Smith. Who what, no. what we know of Rod Smith now? He was wearing number nineteen, 19. on <laughs> kick coverage. So that he's probably thinking the same thing as you. I got to make a tackle to make this team. But you got there first, and I'm telling you, I've talked to so many of your former teammates. The sideline went nuts when you yeah. blew that guy up. They went nuts, and, and Schlereth was yelling, put the rook in, put the rook yeah. in. And you heard them, right, say this, and they put you in on offense, and you what ran out of your mind for the rest of that game. Yeah, yeah. well, what they didn't tell you was after that, after that hit, I went to the sideline, man, I threw up all that hot dog that was inside <laughs> of me, man. <laughs> and, and, and Bobby T, running back coach, he saw me on the sideline, bit over, throwing up hot dogs, he comes over there because he's got to prepare me to go in because he, yeah. he hasn't prepared me to go into the game. So we're on the sideline. I got vomit right here and right next to the vomit. He's got like pencils and pens and he's drawing up plays on the turf to make sure I knew what to do when I went back you know, when I was going in the next series. And, that, you know, and he had to make sure that I was prepared. I went in and uh, yeah, had, had a really good game. Had like eight, you know, eight or so carries. Uh, 40, 50 yards rushing. I mean, it was really solid, man. It was then, and that was it. That was the, that was the day that got me noticed by. That was the first time I 
John Elway said anything to me, by the way. I, I had never spoken yeah. to John before. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was kind of cool. That's like getting a papal blessing, right? Like if Elway recognized you with the Broncos, like, oh, I must be doing something, right? Yeah? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, the first thing that I, you, I, I focused on was trying to earn his respect, um, you know, because when he's in the huddle, I, I had never been in the huddle with John. Even that game, because remember, these are like, you know, third, fourth string quarterbacks. We had like Hugh McMillan. Um, who else was there? There was uh, Bill, Bill, Bill Musgrave. Bill Musgrave, who now, of course, has gone on to be a, yes. an excellent coach in the NFL for years. Yeah. Yeah. So here's how quickly things escalated for you. After that one play in a game that you weren't trying to be in anyway because you wanted to get home to Denver, by the time the season starts, they had cut Rod Bernstein, who they had signed in the offseason to be their war daddy, for lack of a better term, Week one, you're the starting quarterback, and you run for 1,100 yards that year. I mean, it changed that quickly for you. It did, Trey. It, it went from that tackle to getting more reps every preseason game to getting more and more and more and more. And fortunately, I was able to handle the, 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 the more they gave me, the more I was able to handle, which was great. And then first day, the, first game of the year, we played the Bills, and Mike Shanahan calls me to this, his office that week, and he brings me up, and I'm not sure why he's calling me to the office. And um, Mike sits me down and says, hey, how would you like to be the starter running back for the Broncos, man? I was like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, you're our starter. And I was like, all right. I mean, that was, that was, that was pretty cool, um, you know, to, to have worked that hard during, the, during the, the preseason to be named a starter. But I knew there was more work to be done. I knew that yeah. being a starter was, was cool, uh, but I had to go earn a lot of respect from my teammates, coaches, and really I wanted to try to be that guy that that was that people can depend on and just be able to make a, a major contribution to the team. I had no numbers in mind. I had no, you know, I didn't have, I didn't care about rushing yards. I just wanted to be able to help Denver win games and ultimately be able to to win a Super Bowl. And that was that's really what was my, was my focus. Well, this just in, you did get the numbers. Like I said, you ran for 1,117 that year. The next year, you run for over 1,500 yards with 13 touchdowns. But you guys were bounced in the playoffs uh, of that year. And then comes 97, uh, which was the year where you made it to the first of your two straight Super Bowls. And, and that was the year. It was interesting because you guys were the heavy favorite the year before, and you got bounced in the postseason early. And you were a wild card team that year. But you guys went on the road and just found a way to keep pounding the rock and, and taking care of business. And you get to go to the Super Bowl in all places in San Diego, where you're from. And, and the whole thing is set up. You're, you're back. You, you get the Broncos back to the Super Bowl. Uh, and you're taking on the heavily favored Green Bay Packers. Heavily favored Green Bay Packers. And, it, and I've talked to Schlereth and a couple of other guys about this. They took that point spread... I think you guys were double-digit underdogs, like 13-point underdogs. You guys took that personally going into that game, right? Absolutely. You know, it's it, it was really – you know, we felt like we played like an NFC team. Yeah. You know, we ran we the ball. Just, we ran the ball. We were physical. Yeah. And the, the kind of the troll you talked about and going on the road and playing, playing the Chiefs at Arrowhead and beating them, going to – Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, yeah. And beating them. And and then and then, you know, having to go and play the Packers on a neutral field. We feel like once it was a neutral field and you and you go to Pittsburgh and Kansas City and win in those stadiums, didn't matter who we played. We felt yeah. like we, we can win that game. Um and then, you know, we just feel like from a talent standpoint, we can match up with the 
with the Packers. And yeah, listen, we got a pro, we got a pro Hall of Fame, pro football Hall of Fame at quarterback. We got a really good running back. We got a great, great tight end. Our defense was underrated. They weren't, the, you yeah. know, they had their moments. They were really good in the postseason. And so we just felt like uh, we needed that. I think that was important to have, kind of have that little doubt, people doubting us. So we weren't walking in as, you know, favorites or even if, if it was tight. It, it gave us a little bit of an edge, I believe. The other thing that most people probably remember from that game is that you've suffered from migraine headaches your entire career. And it was right before the half where you had one of the worst ones you've ever had. I, you know, I remember seeing the footage and hearing it. You, you, it was blinding. You couldn't even see. It was that bad on the sidelines. But I got to give Mike Shanahan all the credit in the world because he knows you were in so much pain. And he comes up and says to you, look, I know you can't see, but if you're not in the game, they know we're going to throw it. So I just need you to go in the game and like after the snap is over, just stay there so we can, f they think we're going to fake it to you and then they throw it for a touchdown, right? That's what happened. Yeah, that's what happened. It was, yeah, it, it, the, the compassion, right? Mike was very, <laughs> he was very understanding with uh, migraines. <laughs> and you talked about it, Trey, I've had migraines since I was nine years old. Yeah. And I've, dealt, I've played in high school games. Actually, I played in pop warning games, high school games with full-blown migraines. Brutal. And people, if you don't know what migraines are, they're basically a disease. They're brutal. And on, yeah. a, on a spectrum of 1 to 10, I was diagnosed with mine being very severe. So I'm on a 1 to 10, I'm like an 11, 12. Yeah. So I have I, – and they always go, ways go through a cycle where my vision goes first. Once my vision goes, then I know that's the beginning of this kind of cycle. So it's vision – and the vision, my, and what I mean by I can't see, imagine just staring at the sun yeah. and then trying, then immediately trying to focus on something. All you see are like, like flashbulbs in my eye. That's all I see. So it's hard. I, so I, I, there's no clear picture. I can't see anything. I see half your face. I can only see like part of your mouth. And, and so that's what it looks like, Trey, for 45 minutes to an hour. And then once that starts to go away and I can see again, then the headache comes and the headaches are very intense, man. They're, they're brutal. Like they're so intense that when I was a child, I thought many times of, of really just ending my life Oof. because I didn't know, I had no answers for it. I, no one could tell me what, what was happening. I didn't know how long they would last. I didn't know what was, you know, I just didn't know. But the pure pain of these things will make you think about ending your life. That and seriously, that's what I, I mean. I thought about that a lot. So then, once the the, the pain and the, and the pain lasts from anywhere, from, I mean, I've had them from eight hours to sometimes you know twenty four hours, and they're this very intense. And then everything gets heightened, like your sense of smell. So everything smells. Everything. If if someone's cooking down the street, I can smell it, and it makes you it makes you nauseous. So everything is not good. Bright lights are, are horrible. Um, you know. Things that you hit your hearing becomes super high and everything just gets like off kilter. And so it becomes, it's just, it's very uncomfortable, man. It's very debilitating. So I've, I've dealt with this my entire life. When I, when I got to college, I was finally diagnosed for the first time of having exertional migraines. We were able to give uh, some stuff to help as a preventative treatment, some stuff to act as an abortive once they, once they come on. And so when I was at Denver, we had a pretty good program that kept them more manageable and under control. But the Super Bowl, I normally take my medicine 
right before, uh, two hours before kickoff. Right. Because it takes time to get to the blood and, and help out. Well, it's a Super Bowl, man, and biggest game ever. And I forgot to take my preventative med- medicine before, <laughs> before the game. I never heard that before. You forgot to take the medicine. It was just oh so much God. going on. I'm, the game is, I'm thinking about the game. I'm preparing everything. And I just did not take, I, normally I take it with my pregame meal. Yeah. And I just didn't take it that day. So fast forward to the first quarter. As we're coming down, you know, we're, I think we're up 7-7. We're coming down uh, to score our, our second touchdown. And I get leg whipped. I get, a, I get the toss to the right. I'm coming downfield. And Santana Dotson sticks his big old right foot out. He's being blocked. He sticks his foot out and trips me. And as I'm falling down, my head hits someone's knee. Oh. And if, and I and, and it felt like I got hit by Mike Tyson. And I knew what was going to happen after that. Once that happened, I said, oh, shoot. Yeah. I was kind of dazed. I was on my knees. I'm thinking, this is not good. Because this is what can trigger a migraine. And I was, and I then I realized I didn't take my medicine too. So I, it was everything was just not in my favor, and so that's what happened, man. So after a few plays later, um, the vision starts to go, and we're on the goal line at this point. Yeah. They stop the. Uh, we go from first quarter to second quarter. We're changing fields. I'm walking down the sideline. I see Mike, and I want to let him know that I can't see. So whatever you want to do, like don't give me the football. So I, I I let I let the trainers know. They tell me tell Mike. I said Mike, I can't see. And of course, what does Mike say? You don't need to see, TD. You don't need to see. But we need you in this game right now because if you're not in the game, they won't believe we're going to run the ball. And so I said, without hesitation, all right. So I go in. And fortunately for us, we run a fake 15, quarterback keep, right? Uh, fullback slide with that um, Howard Griffith running in the flat. John Elway runs out and we scored a touchdown. And that was the last play that I ran in the second quarter. I didn't come back until the third quarter. And you still rushed for 157 yards in that game where the MVP did the halftime. Cause we all know that the Super Bowl halftimes are an extended dance play version of, of halftimes that saved you, right? Because of the longer halftime. Yeah. God, thank God we had that long halftime break because as I told you, it takes a while for my vision to come back. I'm in a, I'm in a, in a locker room during the second quarter and I don't see the game cause I'm in the, I'm in the locker and it's dark. It's dark and it's quiet. I'm just trying to relax. And, and you know, I took my medicine, uh, medication again, my board of med- medicine. So, I'm, uh, so now just time. Now, now time is, is, is not on my side. But because we have these extended half times, that's, that was the saving grace. And I'm like, oh, thank God that this happened. So I was able to kind of calm my mind, relax a little bit. And then when I woke up, um, the team, they were back in the locker room. And I could see again. And so I was like, perfect. But my headache wasn't it, it wasn't gone. It was it was pretty much, you know, still kind of a lingering hangover, still like a regular headache, but it wasn't nearly like the a regular migraine. All right, so let's take a break and when we come back with Terrell Davis, we'll talk about his second Super Bowl win. And speaking of the number two, we'll also talk about his two thousand yard season and a little interesting thing that happened along the way. We'll get to all of that next with Hall of Famer Terrell Davis. This episode of Half Forgotten History is brought to you by Starbucks Triple Shot Energy Extra Strength Coffee Beverage in a Can. That's Starbucks coffee that you love, ready to drink, offered in classic flavors, and now in zero sugar. 
They have four core flavors, vanilla, dark roast, cafe mocha, and caramel. And now also offering two zero sugar flavors, black and vanilla. Both are zero sugar and dairy free. What gives you your energy? Find your Starbucks triple shot energy online or at your local store. All right, back with Hall of Famer Terrell Davis on Half Forgotten History. So you, you, you're the Super Bowl MVP, you win the game, and then comes your 2,000-yard season. You're in the most exclusive club in the history of the NFL when it comes to running backs, guys that have run for 2,000 yards. And that Broncos team was so dominant that year. I think everyone's expecting them to get back to the Super Bowl and win. And, you know, Glenn Cadrez sort of said the thing he never should have said about the undefeated season when you're playing the Giants, and that was your first loss. But people forget you played about half of every game that year because you were killing people. And you usually had 120, 130 yards by someone through the third quarter. And, you know, Mike Shannon would, would, would pull you out and keep you rested for the playoffs. So when you went into the final weeks of the season, you needed a big number to get to 2,000 yards. How much were you aware of that? And how much uh, was your team aware of that? Well, we were all, I mean, we were aware of it all year long. By the halfway point, eight games, I think I had 1,000 yards already. Right. So it already entered my mind um, about the 2,000 yards. But I also didn't want that to drive me. I didn't want that to right. be what I was out there chasing. I wanted to stick with the formula. And my process of playing was always very narrow focused. It was always about playing the game and doing my assignment and just keep really just playing the game within the game. And by doing that, it allowed those numbers to pile up, right? Like, for example, like I go into a game, it's really play by play. I'm not worried about the total number of yards. I'm worried about right. if it's third down and six, I got to get seven yards. You know, if they give me the ball 25 times, there's always a mission in every play when I get the ball. If it's first down, I want to get four to five yards because I want to get us in second and in, in manageable. So by playing a game like that, Dre, it was, it's really allowed me to keep my mind focused on the moment and not worried about some total number of yards. So that was the mentality all year long. Now, you talk about the, the Eagles game. We played the Philadelphia Eagles. I think I had 160 yards at halftime. I, I didn't play in the second half. And Mike approached me and said, hey, do you want to stay in? He's always asked me that. And my, my response is always no, because I'm not worried about the yards. I'm worried about being healthy for the long run. This is a, we, We're trying to make a playoff Super Bowl run. So the Dallas game I left, pretty early in that game. Uh, the Eagles game, I left pretty early. There was a number of games, like you mentioned, that I was pulled out of these games. And I could have, if, if I was, if I wanted to just sit there and focus on 2,200 yards, I would have stayed in, but I didn't. So now, now let me, let, let's go back to the end of the season when we were talking about the, the Giants game and we had lost that game. We right. played the Miami Dolphins the week after that. So at that point, Trey, I needed 200 Roughly 200 yards. I figured if we're playing Miami, if things go the way they've been going, I can at least, you know, I'm, I'm probably another 100 yards there. So then the last game of the season, probably 100 yards, I, I would need to get 2,000. And I'm, I'm doing the math in my head. Well, we played the Dolphins, and I end up with 29 rushing yards in that game. On 16 carries. like 16 one, carries. Every, it's so funny looking at your splits <laughs> this, that, that season. Uh, 5.7 per carry, 8.4, 6.9, 6.2, 5.3, 1.1, 1.2, 1.3, 1.3, 1.3, 1.3, 1.3, 1.3, 1.3, 1.3, 1.3, 1.3, 1.3,
1.8. And suddenly, everything that you guys have worked for all season, the undefeated season and 2,000 yards, it's in jeopardy going into that final week against Seattle. Everything is up in smoke. I am convinced after that game, we don't need to play the last game because we've already clinched. We've already lost. And the 2,000 yards is pretty much out of reach. Yeah. On a plane ride or flight back, I'm sitting next to Derek Lavelle, and he has a stat sheet in his hand. He's looking at it. He's looking at it. He said, man, he said, man, you could have had 2,000 yards this season. He said, you could have had 2,000 yards this season. Like, it was over. And I looked, and I agreed with him. I said, yeah, you're right. I said, but that's done now. That's that's not going to happen. You know, because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's the last game of the year. We're not going to – if we play, we're going to play a half. Yeah. So, I don't know what happened the last – that week. Apparently, unbeknownst to me, that we were going for it. Yeah. The, the, Gary Kubiak, our offensive coordinator at the time, he never told me that we were going for it. Bobby Turner never said anything about it. You know, Mike Shanahan never told the team that we were going for 2,000 yards. I didn't know. I, I, what I was told was that we were going to come in as a first unit, play a half to get our mojo back, to get us playing, at least looking like the old team, looking like the team we had played before the Giants right. and the Dolphins. And that was it. So we played <laughs> playing the last game. I go into the game. Um, just thinking, all right, get get this half in, play some good football, and then and then and then see what happens after that. But apparently, during the game, things changed, right? We were we were getting some really good positive yards on runs. You're kicking and, ass, uh, is what was happening. Yeah, yeah, we were we were doing some 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 damage there. And uh, I remember Richard Stewart; he was our PR guy at the time, and he would come up and update me every you know every play. All right, yeah. hey man, you need uh now you need a hundred and you know forty yards. And I kept I said kept, I kept telling Richard, man, stop. I don't I didn't yeah. want to think about it. <laughs> but but the other but the the players on the sideline were asking too, right? Like Stink yeah. told yeah. me they had a whiteboard on the sidelines. Yeah. Like how many does he need? How many does he need? Because <laughs> it was just, it was just as important to them as the offensive line as it was to you because they wanted to have, be have a hand in getting it for you. Yeah, yeah. That and I found that out. And and that to me was really that's the best part about it, you know, once it happened. But, yeah, because this is – it's not like it's, – it's, it's an individual goal, but it's not. It's a team yeah. goal. To right. be able to say that you blocked for a 2,000-yard rusher, that you were, you know, they all blocked on the defense and you helped us out. I mean, whatever it is, man, that's, that's pretty cool for everybody. And so that's what we were doing that game. And, and once we got to about the second quarter and I saw the numbers pile up, I, re- I knew that we were going for it. And I was like, all right, let's go get it. Let's go get it. I can't – at this point, we can't come up. We can't be short. Right. You know, it can't be 1959, 1979. Yeah. That does not have the same ring. That does not no. have the same juice as two grand. You know, yeah. so once that happened, I had I had to lock in and let's go. Let's go get it. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I was watching the game, and uh, on, the, on the run where you crossed it, you finished with 178 yards in that game. And on the run where you got to 2000, it's on the, you get tackled and pushed onto the Broncos sideline. And the first guy there to greet you on the sidelines is none other than a reserve offensive lineman, Matt Lepsis. And, <laughs> now, now, I know why you're laughing, and you know why you're laughing, but I, I, could, I just was like, oh my God, of course it was Matt Lepsis. The reason we say this, as you went on to win your second straight Super Bowl, it was the 1999 season, week four against the Jets. 
uh, and it's an interception and you're running down the sidelines trying to make the tackle on the interception and it's Matt Lepsis who runs yep. into you and tears your ACL. And I just, the symmetry of him being the first guy to congratulate you on 2,000 yards and then him, God bless him, and I'm sure he's hated himself forever for this, <laughs> but to be the guy to run into you and to tear, blow your knee up, I was like, of course, it had to be Matt Lepsis. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure he felt terrible at that for, for the longest time, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. He's, he, he's expressed that to me. Of course, I'm like, man, yeah, I can't – listen, he was trying to make a play. I was trying to make a play, and it ended up yeah. crossing like that. But here's the other irony, too, is my career started making a tackle. Yeah, My exactly. career started making a tackle. My career essentially ended by yep. making a tackle. I'm a running back. I shouldn't be <laughs> – I'm not a defensive player, so I shouldn't yeah. be out there ending careers or starting careers with tackles. But that's what happened. Yeah. It's the same way it started was really the way it ended. And then you had to wait a while to get into the Hall of Fame. Was there a point where you said, I guess this isn't going to happen for me? I, I guess I didn't play long enough. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's – it. yeah, I really thought that that for a while because it was there was no talk of it for a while. Like, as the years go on, there's guys that are coming up who are eligible, who are first ballot Hall of Famers, guys who have been waiting, who are getting in, and there's really no – I'm not seeing or hearing any argument for me. So I just kind of like, all right, maybe, you know, maybe that's it. it but I, I was watching it. I would see that I will make the semifinals, you know, the semifinalist list. And then it would just kind of stop there. you just run out of gas. And that would be every year. And so I was like, man, I, you know, it's just ain't going to happen. It, it, well, here's what's hard about it, though. It's, it's you can want it all you want to, but at that point, there's nothing you can do about it. I guess if they had said, Teeny, train, and we're going to give you one last chance to make your your statement for the Hall of Fame. We're going to put some pads on you, give you the ball, and let you try to run your way into Canton. I'm game for that. All right, let's go. But the fact that there's nothing nothing I can do, I have to sit there and wait with stuff. I I didn't think it was going to happen, to be honest with you. Well, it it is amazing because if you just took a blind resume and say, here's a guy who played for this many years, he included in his career, he was a 2,000-yard rusher, he was a Super Bowl MVP. He won back-to-back Super Bowls. Uh, and he averaged, this is true, in the history of the NFL, no one has averaged 100, no one averaged more yards per game in the postseason than you. 142 yards per game in the postseason. Like Emmett Smith, behind arguably the greatest offensive line in the history of the NFL, averaged 93 yards per game in the postseason. You averaged 142 yards per game in your postseason career. What does that mean to you? That to me, I think that means the most to me. And the reason why is that's, that's when it counts the most. That's when the, the biggest playmakers make plays during the postseason. That, that yeah. regular season is great. And I, I take nothing away from regular season. I've had really good regular seasons. But when you talk about next level stuff and the Michael Jordans or the Kobe's and, you know, the champions – the Tom Brady. I mean, it's it really is about how are you playing when the when the game means the most in the postseason. And so I take I took a lot of pride in that to be able to be the same guy that yeah. from regular season to postseason you you're gonna get TD, you're gonna get all of me regular regular or or, um, or postseason. But to see those numbers and to know that that not only did did I get those numbers, but those numbers were significant in uh, in helping us 
bring home those two championships, I take a lot of pride and, and really I'm happy about that part of it. That's, that's pretty cool. And the cool thing for me in, in hearing this and, and having this conversation with you is the things that drove you at seven drove you to be where you are. And that's an important lesson, right? That's an important lesson for people to understand. It is. And it's, it, it, I mean, because we all got to find out what, what really drives us. But I think when it, when it boils down to me, it's really about the passion you have for the game you play or whatever you do in life. You got to have passion for it. And if you give it all you have, I don't mean just physically, I mean emotionally. I mean, we don't hold back. Don't worry about the consequence of failure. Let it all on the line. And, and then let whatever happens happen. That formula, the formula works. It yeah. works in sports. It works in business. It works in relationships. It works. And that's what I, I leaned on was that formula of, man, I'm going to give it all I got because that's all I can give you. No one can fault me or fault you or fault anybody for what happens if they give, if they lay it all on the line. And Trey, that was, that's what I, I owe it to my teammates, to the guys out there I'm playing with, I owe it to the coaching staff, to the fans, my family, to me. And I can, I can, I can put head to pillow at night and sleep really good knowing I gave all that, no matter what happens. Well, I can promise you all the teammates that I've, I've talked with about you, they feel the same way. So uh, oh, you, not only, you not only served yourself, but you served them as well. Look, man, it is always great to catch up with you. Uh, I'm glad we got that Japan Bowl story. We got Japan Bowl hot dogs and mac.